possessions and giving. Money and possessions and giving. Why in the world would you start the new year with a topic like that? Um, e even given what that, that quote from Luther that we read earlier as we were beginning our time together, why in the world would you begin uh, with a topic like that? Let me just throw out two reasons. The first being because of our tendency to put our hope and trust in lifeless things. And that is a dangerous and very easy thing to do. And the second, which is coupled right there with us, with that, is that uh, with the coming of the kingdom of God, it ushers in a new economy. That is to say, a new way for followers of Jesus to see and understand and perceive and engage with this whole world around us. Everything. Nothing left out. All is included. He is the Lord of all of life. And, and some of the claims that He makes, some of the things that He says to our natural, normal way of thinking sound radical, sound foolish, sound absurd. Let me give you a list of examples. For instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. Really? Is that, your, is that my, is that our natural way of thinking? Love your enemies. Really? Is that normal in terms of how we tend to think about things? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, my tendency is to do unto others as they have done to me, but not as I would have them do unto you. Um, don't boast in yourself. Put no confidence in yourself. Do you see how these are all right up against the grain, right into the teeth of the way we typically think and, and live. And then tagging on that with this list, with this topic, give generously. And if we're honest, the reality is all of these things sound to us to some degree radical, perhaps foolish, perhaps absurd. And the reason that they do sound that way, the reason that those statements, those commands of Jesus land on us in that way is because our receptors are broken. We are hearing with warped ears. And so we have to therein come back to these things again and again and again and again because they are actually the soundest words that we could possibly hear. If you have a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is one of the earlier books in the New Testament after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And you hit Acts. It's really, uh, as you're going there to Acts 20, it's really part two of Luke's two-part work. You have Luke's Gospel, part one, and then the book of Acts. That's actually part two of a compendium, I guess you could say, of Luke's uh, research there and his historical record that he puts out there for us. Acts 20 I'm going to start in verse 17 and read on down through verse 35. We're really going deep with verse 35 is where we're heading in the next few minutes, but I want to get you the context. So we're starting in Acts 20, starting way back, verse 17, 
pushing all the way through to verse 35. Hear now the word of God. Now from my latest he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if it be true that it is a dangerous thing and oh so easy and tempting to put our hope and trust in lifeless things, if indeed it is true that our receptors are damaged, then we really, really do need your help this morning. Uh, we really do need uh, your mercy such that we would see our need of instruction here, uh, and indeed that you would do the repair work upon us, the renewal of our sight, um, the recalibration of our compasses. We, we need all of that and, and more and more than we know, and so we're asking for that. And we know that you and your mercy and kindness and goodness to us that is so obvious uh, we know in that that you are pleased to hear such requests and you delight to answer. And that's our hope. That's our hope as we come to you this morning. Speak, we pray, to our, our hearts. Amen. Okay, the context. The context of these words from Paul uh, as we have quoted for us here in Acts 20. The context is he is 
speaking there on, on, on a coastal city, Miletus, a bit south of where Ephesus is. He has called these elders uh, to him that he has ministered with in the past to meet with him just this, this last time. And there's this conversation. Of course, what we have is, a, is really a monologue there uh, as far as what's quoted from, from that encounter. Paul is looking back upon the years that he spent with them and uh, recounting something of that, reminding them something of that, even as at the same time he is looking ahead to what is awaiting them and is awaiting him as, as well. And with that, he gives them a charge. Shepherd God's people. Look after them and look after them well. Be on your guard. Watch out for yourself and for the flock and for the wolves that will surely come in and even from within and into the flock. Shepherd, shepherd well, watch out. And, and, and then Paul gives them an example, his own example. Again, recounting, reminding them of his time there. with His life spent not and directed not by uh, the desire for stuff and material things and, and money and acquisition, but rather it was a life spent and in, in overflowing in, in generosity and service. And, as, and then to press that point home, to really make it land and stick, he appeals to these words of Jesus that we have here in verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now again, we, we need to stop here at this point and just be honest and recognize our inability to really hear what Jesus is saying. We throw those words around like we believe them. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We don't have any categories for what Jesus is saying. I guess I alluded to earlier, it's as though the antennae is snapped. It's broken. The reception is not getting through. He's speaking. That's not a problem. We're not hearing. Because we can't. We simply can't. And so we have to plead with him, oh, would you repair, would you renew, would you enable, would you re-enable, and come back to such words again and again and again and again, because we keep drifting, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We just sang that. And it manifests itself in these things, in this very command, this, this very uh, statement that Jesus is making here. So we need to look at two things, and we're going to look at two things just briefly over the next few minutes, and that is the reality of the nature of what it means to receive and the blessing of that, and the reality and the nature of the blessing of what it means to give. Those two things. It's a very simple outline. You've got it there in your, in your uh, bulletin. So, so here we go. First, the, the blessing of receiving. What does that mean? What does it mean? To, to, re, to really receive something, to, under, to grapple with that, it needs to, to be, we need to begin to acknowledge some solid, some foundational things. To receive something, whether from another person or from God himself, we'll speak, I'll start with just receiving from another person, and that involves affirming their worth. Being willing to receive and accept the service, the gift, whatever it is from another person is to affirm the worth of that person. Just as Jesus does with the woman at the well in John 4. It's exactly what he's doing. As he is receiving water, assistance, aid from 
her. It's, it's to affirm the worth of another person. It's to acknowledge our need. It's to acknowledge the interdependency within the body of Christ such that, that Paul speaks of there in 1 Corinthians 12 that I can't do this on my own so I need you and vice versa. It's to acknowledge these fundamental, solid, basic things. It's to lay the groundwork to receive. It's to allow the opportunity for gratitude to be expressed to God. Because, of course, we recognize, at least we should, that whatever it is that we're receiving ultimately is traced back to Him. Your food, your breakfast, chiefly speaking, did not come from the supermarket. It came from a farm. Right? But you trace it back beyond that. This is where the problem is. We don't live in that the rootedness of an agrarian society anymore. So we think it came from... Or we... If the, the trick that a farmer or a cook gets into is we think we made it. We didn't make anything. We prepared it. We didn't make it. He is the provider of all these things. And, and acknowledging that, the, the, the gratitude we should express to Him, and then also simply recognizing that whatever means by which He provides, whether it's ordinary or extraordinary, and through whom whoever He provides it, if they're freely offering and giving us something, He put the desire and the opportunity in that person's heart such that they are now giving, serving, helping uh, so it's all those things, affirming the worth of another person, acknowledging our need, acknowledging our the interdependency, uh, opening up opportunities for gratitude, acknowledging some solid, serious, significant, foundational things, and then acting on them to receive. That's what this means. It's to willingly, readily, delightedly receive, accept, embrace another person's counsel, their time, their energy, and yes, maybe even the finances that they're assisting us with. Okay, why? Why is it blessed? Why is it blessed then to receive? I've alluded to something of all that already, but I want to take you into some deeper reasons. It is truly blessed to receive. Jesus says, he doesn't say it's not blessed to receive. He says it's more blessed to give, right? You know, it's a significant uh point there. Why is it though still blessed to receive? It's true deeply so to how we've been made. Now think with me. We have been made in the image and according to the likeness of an eternally receiving God. Within the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is eternally receiving the praise, the glory, the love of the Son. The Son is eternally receiving the authority and the power of from the Father. The Spirit is eternally receiving His charge, His mission, His task from the Father and the Son. We have been made in the image of an eternally receiving God. Therein we are hardwired. We are never more human than when we are willing to open up our arms and our hands and receive from another person, most especially from the Lord Himself. So to receive is to resist the lie. It's to resist the heresy of autonomy, of self-dependency, of self-reliance, of self-sufficiency, which none of us are. Really. Though we often live as though 
that might be the case. So it truly is, deeply so, blessed to receive. Now, our ability or inability to receive can tell you, can tell us a lot about our hearts. Our ability or inability to receive from others and from the Lord is an indication, is a benchmark of a lot of things going on in our hearts. Some of us really struggle to accept help from other people. Some even struggle to simply say thank you, to acknowledge the assistance, the help that another has, has given them. Now why is that? There's a lot of possibilities, but let me just project out there two. One is a stubborn insistence on independence. I don't want to rely on anybody else. I don't want to have to be. I don't want to be weak. And so we're unwilling to receive. Or it can be perhaps related to that. I don't want to be indebted. So I want to be independent or I don't want to be indebted. I don't want to feel like I owe you anything. Owe you anything. Therein I will not receive anything or show gratitude or acknowledge anything. And, and thinking in terms of Receiving both from the Lord and from others, fundamentally what we're asking and what we're demanding or insisting on there is, is standing in a, in a situation where it's just a, it's an even exchange, we're an even footing, one with an, another. And so, you know, to acknowledge we've received anything or need anything would violate that. What is that? It's arrogant pride. An inability and unwillingness to receive from others and from the Lord Himself is nothing less than arrogant pride. We'd have to call that for what it is. Now, it's vital we think about this. What is it to receive? And why is it necessary? What is it? All, all of that. That said, I don't mean to trick you or throw a fastball or a curveball or what, but the fact of the matter is that's actually not what Jesus is talking about in this verse. <laughs> um, everything that I just said regarding the need to think about how you know the whole heart stuff when it comes to receiving and all that, and what it, the deep reasons why we're made to receive and all that—that's true, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. The word that's used here, receive, often has the connotation of amassing wealth. Okay? Uh, it has that sort of connotation. So when you hear him say, it's more blessed to give than to receive, that's what he's actually speaking to here. So what you could say is, he's saying it's more blessed to give than to get. It's more blessed to pass on than to pursue. It's more blessed to turn loose than to take hold. Okay? That's what he means when he's saying it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that is what we need to hear again and again and again and again because this is not how we think. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, with that said, now we have an understanding of half of this what he's speaking when he's speaking of the receiving. What does he mean when he's speaking of the giving? What does that mean? Well, again, we start with some solid things. The, the backdrop, 
the, the foundation to giving. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 29. Uh, this is back in the Old Testament, a few books to the left of the Psalms. Uh, you've got a series of 1st and 2nds, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st uh, and 2nd Chronicles, Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, well, not both of them, but 1st Chronicles 29. 1st Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10, this is a, a prayer of King David. Uh, this is after this great offering has taken place of the people to give of all these things towards the construction of the temple. And this is the prayer that David prays after that has taken place, this giving and the, these offerings have been gathered. First Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 10. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are the power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. What is David saying? We are but stewards ultimately. We own nothing. We are but stewards. All is his. All is His. That's a foundational thing to keep in mind. We're thinking about what is it to give. We keep in mind, we remember, all is His. Alright, so enough with First Chronicles. Let's go to uh, First Corinthians. Uh, this is in the New Testament. After the Gospels and after Acts and after Romans, you have First and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says yet more light on this, some foundational things for us to be thinking about here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, towards the very end of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, everything is His, including us. Okay? Everything is His, including us. These are foundational things to understand as we consider what it is to, to give. Let me give you one last one. It's the, the third of these three I want to give you. and the, That's Psalm 121. Psalm 121. This is in the midst of what are referred to as the Psalms of Ascent. As the pilgrims were making their way to the temple, they would sing a series of psalms together. Psalm 121 is, is in the midst of that. Psalm 121, just verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we could keep reading, but I just want to just you know point this out. So we have on one, one, number one, Everything is His. Number two, we are His. And number three, He has us. 
Everything is His, we are His, and He has us. He has promised His provision and protection over His people. Now you bring those three together, those three things together, synthesize them, take them into the mix, think them through, and where does it take you? It not only compels us therein to give, but it frees us to give. It enables us to give. Because we know everything is His, we are His, and He has us. We are compelled and able freed therein to give and to give generously. Recognizing, declaring as we give of our time and talent and treasures that our priority is not the trinkets of this world, but the treasure of our God. And so we want to, if you will, intersect with our, I'm going to put this in, print, in quotation marks, our wealth, our stuff, we want that to intersect with where He's working. That's what should thrill us. That's what should excite us. That should be what our, where our priority is. Now, that's what all that means. It's foundation to understand something of what it means to give. Why is that blessed? Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. The taking. More blessed to give than to get. Why? Why? What is, how is this so deeply true? Again, as I said earlier, regarding how we've been made in the image and the, according to the likeness, not only of an eternally receiving God, but an eternally giving God. Right? I said a moment ago regarding the way within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is eternally receiving. Well, you can't have the receiving if you don't have the giving. So therein, the, this, this sense relationally within God Himself, eternally giving, but eternally, but giving to us. Giving of the Son. Giving of the Spirit. Giving of the Word. Giving of one another. And it could go on and on and on. We are made in the image according to the likeness of a giving God. We are hardwired. Made to do this. It is never, we are never more human, not only than when we receive, but then we give. And so when we do that, again, we're speaking, we're declaring, resisting the lie that says this stuff, things, material, he who has the most at the end wins, all that crazy stuff. The simple act of giving is a way of loosening our clutching hands from our idols and stretching our impoverished faith in our God. That's what it is to give. And therein is blessed to give. And just like what I said earlier regarding how receiving, our ability or inability to receive from others and, and from the Lord Himself is an indication, is a touchstone, is, is tells us something about the condition of our hearts, so too is, in, is the case with giving. That tells us something about what's going on in our hearts, our ability or inability, not only to receive, but to, but to give. The Gospel impels us and frees us to give, to, to let go, put it this way, to let go of our legitimate wants to meet legitimate needs. To lay down and let go of our legitimate wants to meet legitimate needs. Or to put it another way, the gospel impels us and frees us to, when necessary, 
feel the squeeze to spare others from feeling the pinch. There's a quote in your quotes and notes. We've been going there a lot today. The second one from the bottom, from C.S. Lewis, another quotable fellow. Lewis writes this, The only safe rule is to give more than one can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, and amusements, etc. are up to the standard common amount with which with those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. There ought to be things we should like to do but cannot because our charity's expenditure excludes them. I just want to say that I think for all of us, self-included, for all of us in this room, that sort of thing is something we need to honestly, earnestly grapple with in the coming months. We really do. We really do. What does it mean to give and for it to be more blessed than to receive? Again, what, is, what does Paul say here? Verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul, there's two imperatives there. There's two commands there. Two strong things he's saying that we need to do. One is, there in that verse, he says that we must help the weak. That's the first. But it, the way we do that is to remember. Remember these words, specifically that Jesus has said. Remember. Well, why do we have to be told to remember? Because we forget. So we have to keep coming back. We have to, if you will, keep remembering. It's an ongoing act of remembering because we keep forgetting. This bomb cyclone. I don't know where in the world some meteorologist came up with that term, but this bomb cyclone that's been much in the news that you know swept up from Florida all the way up into to New England. It's been much in the news uh, here this this past week, and uh, as have if it, I don't know what you know news media you go to, but uh, as has uh, the um, shortage of snowplow drivers uh, up in New England. Uh, this is true. Uh, I, last I looked, uh, TDOT is now listing in, in Maine. TDOT in Maine has 90 openings for snowplow drivers, in case any of you are interested. Um, they, they need about 700 all the time uh, so that they've got two drivers with every plow so that they can keep rotating those things during storms such as like they're experiencing uh, right now. Because obviously, when a blizzard comes... You have to keep treating the road. You have to keep throwing down the salt. You've got to keep plowing the snow, right? Uh, you can't stop because the blizzard doesn't stop. You have to... It, it keeps coming. It keeps coming, so you have to keep going in terms of treating those roads. Well, here, what I want you to think with me about this. There's a blizzard out there. Right now. You can't see it because I'm not talking about snow and ice. I'm talking about lies and half-truths. There's a blizzard out there. 
And we have to keep treating the road of our heart. The plowing and the chemicals, if you will. Keep salting, keep plowing, because there's this blizzard and this if we don't, the accumulation of, of the, the ice will kill us. We've heard the gospel. We've heard the declaration that the kingdom has come, and yet we struggle with this very real, very practical, rubber-meets-the-road application when it comes to money and stuff. And we have to keep coming back to the words of Jesus and be assured, being assured and reassured that indeed it is all His and that we are His and that He has us and He is that good and we can give ourselves to Him that much and entrust ourselves to Him that far because this is real. So too is the blizzard. More so is this. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess that these things are just not plain and obvious and self-evident to us. Our tendency is to hoard and to amass and stockpile. Our, our default is to fend for ourselves, to look out for ourselves, to trust in ourselves as though somehow this is what life was about, as though we possibly could, and as though you'd never spoken. We desperately need You to help us to remember these things. That indeed it is blessed and more so to give. As You have given to us, it is more blessed to give. We pray this in Your name. Amen. If I may ask my fellow elders,